Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, New American Cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Foment About it. it on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette, your hosts. We broadcast live every Monday night at 7 p.m. And if you get... Oh, where? Go ahead. <laughs> on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yeah, we're actually in Bushwick in the back of uh, Roberta's, a great pizza, pizza beer place. Um, and we're a show that's all about fermentation, particularly homebrewing, but we're also exploring other things. So tonight, we have a very special episode. This is part one of two, and we're going to be discussing smelling and tasting beer. We're going to start today with off flavors. We're very lucky to have two special guests in the studio with us. Absolutely. I'm very excited that they're here. (laughs) But first, we have a couple of announcements. What's up, Mary? With Brooklyn Brew Shop. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, so Brooklyn Brew Shop has a new subscription club. It's called the Quarterly Brew Club. Let me bring it up here. And basically, you're going to, they're doing some new seasonals that are exclusive. Well, not only their seasonals, but some, some brew kits that are exclusive to this quarterly brew, cup, brew club. And they, uh, subscriptions, they still have some availability. You can get them in two or four quarters, so basically six months in a year. And you get three of their newest seasonal brews quarterly, including one or two that are exclusive to the club on each given season, and it starts at $90 for two quarters, which is six months. These are the great little one-gallon brew kits that Brooklyn Brew Shop does, so I just wanted to make people aware of that because I think it's a neat program. Especially if you don't have very much room to be brewing. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, uh, coming up, again, I just want to reiterate that we're coming up on Homebrew Alley 7. This is a national AHA, BAJCP-sanctioned homebrew competition, and uh, deadline to register and to get all your entries in is February 1st. That's coming up this Friday. You can find out more information at homebrewalley.org. And uh, this ties into today's topics because we're talking about off flavors in beer and uh here with us our national beer judge br royalia hi br hello (laughs) and uh and vladimir kowalik from the new york city brewers guild (laughs) absolutely national (laughs) judge national judge hello uh vlad vlad has been very awesome and part of the guild he's he is basically spearheading our bjcp classes uh on behalf of the guild going on five years now I think we've been going on eight years yep. on but and for off, you, but yes. consistently the last five years, yes. Absolutely, and it's awesome. Uh, how, many, how many people come to this? We had to cap at a max of 30 because at one point we had 45 people in a room not much bigger than this. And um, while it was a lot of fun, it was not particularly educational at points. Right. So, yeah, um, we have about 25 registered so far this year. What is the BJCP? Beer Judge Certification Program, and um, it is a not-for-profit that, well, we should know this, right? Oh, wait, right? this is question <laughs> number one. Question right. number one. <laughs> recognizes, How could you forget? I know. 
recognizes <laughs> um, beer evaluation and tasting skills. That's right. That's right. It's uh, pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's basically it's a way to train homebrew judges. So there's a lot of homebrew competitions, including Homebrew Alley, coming up, and they need a way for people to be able to judge beer. And also, and I think, I mean, not only in homebrew competitions, but just be able to evaluate your own beer. Absolutely. And your, your, your sure. fellow homebrewers in your club or your guild or whatever. Absolutely. Because despite being a judge, you don't actually enter competitions, do you, Mary? No. <laughs> no. Okay, <I> <laughs> no, I think, so there's, I always have, you know, there's some debate. I, I also, I took the BJCP uh, classes at the first, actually, uh, group back in 2006 um, and tested out in June. And, and then I think I finally... Uh, uh, accumulated enough experience points last year or the year before to, to finally make national. Um, and I, I run into people occasionally who are very anti-BJCP. And even, you know, when talking about the guild, I mean, like Vlad said, the guilds run classes since 2006. I mean, every year we have almost a full class every year, or we've had a full class every year, I believe, yep. at least for the last five. Um, but there are some people that are anti, and I think because for a number of reasons, I mean, the BJCP guidelines are such that there's very set um types of beer we have categories and subcategories of beer like russian imperial stout and foreign export stout and sweet stout right and brewing to style does not necessarily make a good beer correct and then also i think a lot of people feel like you know not i mean we're all trained as judges now we all test out on the same same exam um obviously there's a range of scores with within each category um and i think a lot of people I mean, I'll admit, I, I get out a lot and drink a lot of different commercial beers. Um, and I think that it really depends, the judges depend on kind of, you have to keep your palate trained and fresh. And that's one reason why we're doing the show today is because I think it, even if you have an amazing palate, I don't, you have to kind of continually calibrate it and continually test it and, and really think about what you're tasting and smelling. And in the BJCP class, uh, you can actually uh, reach out to the BJCP, whoever's proctor, or whoever's teaching the class. You reach out, and they have a Siebel kit. Is that mm-hmm. that's what they have of a bunch of off flavors? And you take a light beer and you doctor these to kind of really pinpoint specific off flavors. And so Mary has devised this kind of do-it-yourself thing, so you don't need to buy a Siebel kit. Buy a Siebel kit, which I think the Siebel kits are fantastic, but they are quite expensive, um, and if you're, if you don't have home, a maybe, lot of people to do it. Exactly. Then, then maybe you have, you know, sense. four friends that you would just want to get together with and kind of go over some of these off flavors, learn what they what they taste like, and then, you know, do a mini study group where you want to talk talk about why these off flavors are caused, how to fix them, et cetera, and be able to really be able to identify them both in aroma and flavor. Um, then I think a homemade kit is is great. I actually got this inspiration from another blog. We also have full directions. I wrote up this on my own personal blog, My Life on Craft, um, full directions on how you can create your own kit. I also, I went back to, so we're, we're going to, the first beer we're going to do is acetaldehyde. And what is acetaldehyde? Anybody, come on, chime in. What does it taste like? Yeah, or smell like, or. Uh, it's, it's a classic green apple aroma you get. Mostly, I pick it up more for me personally. It's it's more in the aroma than the flavor. Mm-hmm. But um, that's also something I find that these kits are really good for. Is I've learned my sensitivity to certain um, off flavors. For example, uh, diacetyl. I need a lot of diacetyl mm-hmm. in a beer to know if it's there. So if I'm judging and a judge is like, "Oh, this beer has way too much diacetyl," and I don't notice it, 
I can now I now know to say like oh okay I tr- I, I tr- uh, trust you on that one mm-hmm. right agree and that's but, how- and that's what I'm saying for the acid aldehyde I get it more in the aroma some people get it more in the flavor it's really you know it's up to it's good to know your own limitations in that in terms yeah. of judging. Absolutely. And that's another reason why it's good to do a kit like this or a SIBO kit with a group of people is that you get a better idea. Again, like same with me. I'm not super sensitive to diacetyl. We're going to do diacetyl later on in the show. I'm about probably medium sensitivity range, it seems, um, compared to everybody else. I've, I've known some people that have absolutely no, can't pick, don't pick it up at all. Um, and then some people that are extremely sensitive to it. So I think a lot of these things, another thing like the kind of dirt flavor which I never can remember the chemical name but that's something that I'm not I don't I think part of it is I don't find it offensive and so I don't really pick it up that's one thing when we do the Siebel kit I've helped teach the off flavors class um, the last few years and when we do the Siebel kit that's when I'm like yeah I just know I'm not gonna pick this up I can't you know I'm not a good um, person to compare with so you ask what is acetaldehyde yes so acetaldehyde if I remember correctly is um, one of the many compounds that are produced by brewer's yeast when they do their work. Mm -hmm. And under a healthy fermentation, the yeast will clean up the acetaldehyde as part of the fermentation process. Yep. It's actually converted to ethanol alcohol. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you... I mean, so what we just took uh, for this this homebrew off-flavor kit or this homemade off flavor kit we took some apple con green apple concentrate yeah and it's so i went to new york uh cake supply store which is great this is a little now these are not perfect this is a little bit candy like i find but i still think it's a pretty good representation of the aroma and flavor of acetaldehyde so this is actually by loran oils it's app just regular apple flavor um you could pick these kind of if you buy this one particularly you will need to use eight drops per 12 ounce bottle or can. And we're actually starting with Coors Light because we found that that's one of the most neutral beers. Um, I feel like it's good to, you could also do this in a craft ale, maybe like a Sam Adams light or something like that. Um, But I really think if you're, if you're training your palate, particularly if you're new at this or even recalibrating, it's good to do it in a very neutral beer because you really want to hone in on this particular off flavor and aroma. Um, so let's taste. So we actually, so we added eight, eight drops of this Loran oils, apple flavor to a 12 ounce can of Coors Light. And it definitely, it's very much in the aroma. I mean, yeah. I it's agree like with, a Jolly Rancher. Beer, yes. <laughs> but I get nothing in the flavor and that's, I don't right. know if that's just me. Like I say, I know I'm not sensitive to it too much in the flavor, but I, would, I get a little bit in the flavor actually at that very end, but more so in the aroma for sure. What do you think, Vlad? The aroma's blunt, but yeah. <laughs> um, I get it a bit in the tail end. It comes off as a little bit of a uh, an acidic sort of twang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also, oh, one thing important, so kind of rewinding, one thing important when you do this kind of, um, any kind of palate training is to have, you want a calibration beer. So we're sitting in the studio. Uh, we actually have our calibration beer, which is just a plain Coors Light, not doctored. And we have a glass of that in front of us each. And then we also have our doctored beer. So, you know, between sips or, or smells, it's always nice to kind of start by smelling your calibration, your non-doctored beer. So give it a nice sniff again. You know, with the traditional Coors Light, Coors Light I get a teeny bit of kind of corn aroma. 
Ah, yes. It's yeah, get a little bit of sweetness, <laughs> like, you know, light, sweet maltiness. But otherwise, it's a pretty neutral. So uh, uh, definitely, I mean, when you smell the, the regular Coors Light and then you smell this doctored Coors Light, it's a significant difference. We could probably go down. You could probably go down on this. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a, I think it drops a bit much personally for this. I mean, for my threshold, at least. Yeah, I think, I mean, I mean definitely the aroma is, is pretty big. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I find that rolling it off kind of gets it more normal. Like, what, uh, if you just kind of swirl it around in your glass, it kind of rolls oh, yeah, a lot of that off. And then, then it becomes more of like, okay, that is a kind of where I'm trying to look for it, where, you're, it, where it becomes challenging in a competition to detect. Mm-hmm, I agree. And so acetaldehyde, as we said, it's a natural. It, it occurs pretty much during every fermentation. It's usually converted or reabsorbed by the yeast. I believe converted mostly to, eth- to ethanol alcohol. And what, what causes this most commonly in home brewing? So A, you're, you're not pitching healthy yeast. Either you're under pitching, so uh, too small of a cell count, or maybe the yeast is stressed, or you, you, your fermentation stops early either because it was the temperature went too low or... Again, it was a health issue. Maybe there weren't enough nutrients in your beer. Um, or you rack it too soon. You think it's done and you rack it off or you, you, know, and you keg it or bottle it too soon. Those are all ways that you can get acetaldehyde. I believe you can also get it through an infection, if I'm not mistaken. I actually have a cheat, free, cheat sheet in front of me. Um, yeah, so some bacteria can cause green apple. Because I actually had a beer uh, not too long ago that I let sit for a very very long time and i think it got an infection and it was it really got a lot of acetaldehyde so and i think that was why so is acetaldehyde ever appropriate i don't think it is no it is I, it oh is. vlad's saying yes okay <laughs> but i'm lead- corrected i'm corrected <laughs> it was a leading question i i'm almost certain that it's acceptable in small quantities in light lagers yeah, I, oh yeah is. yeah i think yep that sounds right and every once in a while, when I'm drinking a light American lager recreationally, and it does happen, <laughs> I, for some reason, just pick up on it more so than I ever remember picking up on it in the past. Maybe it's like a hot day and I'm drinking uh, way big on the uh, Coors Light. Actually, last time I had it was with a uh, Miller Light. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. It says low levels of yeast character green apples, DMS, or fruitiness are optional but acceptable. There you go. Interesting. But Although in the flavor it, it says no fruitiness. Do you find so. it in your control here? Mm-mm. At all? I'm not picking either. it up. I don't get it in this one, no. I get just more, more corn coming out of the control mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. anything. And I'm not clear on why I pick up on it on occasion and not other times when we know that these breweries have such intense and rigorous quality control so I, I just don't know why it's once in a while that at least i pick up on it right yeah all right we're gonna take a break and we'll come back with more off flavors and uh talking about uh calibrating more your palate and competitions Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today.
following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Every Wednesday at noon, Dorothy Ken Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I'm going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen. Francis Malman. Cooking with fires, it's very feminine, it's very fragile. And Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef Story at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, welcome back to Fun Men About It on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm here in the middle of three national beer judges ranked by the BJCP I feel I have a little of inferiority complex right now um, but it's pretty awesome of great palettes um, we're doing off flavors we're doing off flavors talking about off flavors and how to get them uh, how to fix them and how to really get so you're to train your palate to be able to find them and to do this at home very simply through by going to your local cake store and getting artificial flavors such as green apple we just tasted and to to uh, exemplify acetaldehyde and next up we have diacetyl um so we again this is from the uh new york cake company cake and baking supply but you can buy these i know if you're not in new york city you can buy these at a lot of craft stores like michael's arts and crafts sells a lot of cake decorating um so this is actually the wilton clear butter flavor and it just says artificially flavored but it is really i mean it smells like microwave popcorn so diacetyl is a compound that is also usually a yeast malfunction. Um, so it's, again, a compound that's produced by the yeast and then actually reabsorbed. So there's a couple different reasons that you can get diacetyl. And it's typical. So diacetyl, when you smell it in a beer, it's butter. I always think butter popcorn. You can also butterscotch. Butterscotch, yeah. And I don't, again, this is one like we were talking about um, acid aldehyde I get mostly and you get also on the um, in the aroma. I get diacetyl more in the aroma. I almost never. It's like a kind of an oily taste like or a slickness, sensation. Slickness on your palate almost. Yeah. yeah. I get it. A, a, I have a very low threshold for for diacetyl, and I can taste it in a lot of different things. Taste it and smell it. I have one of those. And it is something. This is it is acceptable in certain beers at low levels, mm-hmm. especially English style, English style beers. Ales, yeah. And I think one of the re well possibly one of the reasons that is is because so. Again, as we said, it's a compound that's produced by yeast and then reabsorbed. So a lot of times if you have a yeast that is, you know, flocculates out fast or maybe just doesn't go all the way, again, um, in lagers, if you, you need to use a diacetyl rest, so you bring it up to a certain temperature for a couple days to allow those yeast to fully do their job and reabsorb this, this compound. Um, again, just I think, you know, if yeast aren't healthy and they're not able to, to make it all the way through... And then there's one other way that you always get diacetyl in a bar. Not cleaning your lines. Yes. <laughs> Which is a shame because the beer will be in fantastic shape. And the bre- it's left the brewery in pristine condition. Mm-hmm. It's, maybe it's just left the brewery a few days before, before getting to the distributor. And then it goes through those lines that have not been cleaned. 
have had God knows how many different styles of beer running through them. Yep, and they, so those so dirty lines. Um, if bars do not properly clean their lines, they can get a buildup of Pediococcus and Lactobacillus, and those two bacteria can produce lacto or not. They can't actually. Um, produce diacetyl anyway and that's why you know sometimes you'll roll into like a you know sometimes i'll roll into a dive bar and order something on tap that i know should be most commonly like sierra nevada or sam adams right and uh and i taste it i'm like ah, this is not what this is meant to be and it's not certainly not the brewery's fault it's really because the, the bar has not been cleaning their line so that's typical source of this and what's so, the ratio of uh coors light to uh Clear Wilton. butter flavor. So if you're uses. using Wilton clear butter flavor, we determined. So Chris and I, a couple years ago, I, Chris and I sat down and I had all these flavorings that I bought. And we went through and we determined exactly, drop by drop, exactly kind of where we thought, how many drops it would require per 12 ounce. And then also we, uh, per, I think we did a six pack. Yeah, but I want to apologize to the judges in the room because <laughs> I've actually been stirring with the dropper. So I think we're actually getting like, you know, a, little a, bit. a double dose of everything because of my decision to stir. Don't stir with your dropper. Oh, I think that that's the point. Here. But, yeah. So all these are, at least the, the acid all that in this are, are uh, yeah, but I don't. Strong. So now to me, and I mean, again, I don't, I have like a medium threat threshold for this i don't i'm not super sensitive oh man this is yeah. really butter See, yeah. Yeah. i find it i find it's like oh you know this is actually making the beer a little I bit know, nicer it's, it's kind of fruity like <laughs> ale like i agree i'm totally blind to diacetyl <laughs> and i can I, this is hitting me over the head uh, you might have had one of the ones on the left before i before the uh before the uh, dropper got diluted a little bit but this is hitting me over the head i mean diacetyl usually does and, uh, yeah it's like Whoa. I mean, I definitely get in the aroma. Again, I don't really get in the flavor at all. Maybe at the very I think, back. I find it, it just accentuates the sweetness of the beer, but I don't get sort of that slick feeling that I sometimes mm, get mm-hmm. in when it's really, really pre- present, which is when I know, like, okay, if I'm getting that mouthfeel and a little bit of butter aroma, then there must be tons in there. Yeah. It must be offensive to most people. I was think this is very highly carbonated beer, and I wonder, I wonder if that doesn't kind of scrub that sensation up like sometimes when you have beers that aren't as highly carbonated you can get that that greasy sensation more so with that i mean how how much should somebody then i mean everybody has a different threshold how how serious should people take their judging sheets when they get them back from competitions <laughs> I mean, do, I mean well, why, why in terms of diacetyl or in terms of anything that the um, judge has to say Let's, well anything but in all but also diacetyl and you know you just have to i guess I mean, I'm answering the question at the same time. I think you have to understand that everybody has a different balance, and mm-hmm. all of this is subjective. And uh, you know, the, this, this BJCP kind of gets people to to a common page and a common ground, but everybody's still different within it. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing about BGC, BJCP is just, I mean, I, I do judge competitions. I don't enter. I haven't for a long time, partly because I because I like to brew these very odd styles that nobody has ever had or knows anything about. Um, and I and I actually don't care. I don't care to win medals or anything. Um, but I think it's a great way when you're first brewing to get good feedback um, is to enter your beers into homebrew competitions. And also, it's a ton of fun to judge. And the classes, regardless, even if I never judged, I, I learned a ton in those classes, not only about brewing, but also, again, it was great to be able to, to learn this with a whole group of people and to be able to, to taste these off flavors and, and, other, and other characteristics of beer with a group of people. So I think regardless of what your goal is, uh, attending classes like this there's is a fantastic 
tool. Attending the classes or u- really utilizing the, the references that they have actually at, at BJCP.org. You know, just go in there. Yeah, the study guide is a wealth of information. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So how seriously should you take your feedback? Yes. how seriously should you take your feedback? Depends on how... It depends on how... It depends on what you expect to get from the mm-hmm. feedback, is my opinion. But... Um, I still enter competitions on occasion. I basically just jump to the overall impression comments. That's just me. I want to know what you thought in big picture terms about my beer. I don't really care what you saw and what you... I, I know what color my beer is. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So the overall impression there is... Uh, what, what's it split up in? A judging sheet? Um, aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and um, overall impression. Mm-hmm. And... The bulk of the 50 points comes from flavor, but um, overall impression is interesting because it allows a judge to compensate or to adjust for, for example, you might get a beer that just doesn't fit the style, but you think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So you have to give it something in the low 20s, perhaps, but, um, you know, you can give low scores on all of the flavor and appearance characteristics and then give nine points on overall impression um anyway i find the overall impression to be the most useful Mm -hmm. and the other thing is you can enter a beer and it'll do really really well in one competition and a month later do really poorly in another so read the comments and understand where the judges are going with it and then either average them out or enter a third competition but you know if you're really interested in getting medals or getting feedback that's useful to you i think you can't just rely on one or two judges you need to right. just right. keep at I it agree. yeah yeah the Send other thing is i'm always much more honest when i judge in a competition on the judging sheets than i ever am i mean when so we we always you know we have a homebrew share after at, at our guild meetings and the other meetings that we go to around the city and i never i mean i'll give honest feedback but Never as as Never completely as bluntly, uh, yes, as you will, and honest an as I am in a score sheet. sheet. Yeah. So I think there is a lot of value in getting good feedback. Um, and again, like Vlad said, I mean, that is one thing that uh, people have a hard time with is that they'll enter a competition and they won't enter it in the style. That's the other tip. So if I could give any tip to if you're entering a competition, don't enter that competition. In, so you brew a beer and it's meant to be a double IPA. But lo and behold, you undershoot your gravity, and it's not as hoppy, and it ends up more tasting more like an IPA. Don't be married to whatever you brewed it as. Really, taste, sit down with that beer, smell it, taste it, share it with your friends that know the styles, and enter it as the style that, that it actually tastes and smells like. Um, that's, a, I think, one of the biggest things that people do is that they enter in some, you know, whatever kind of beer. I mean, I, I know one time years ago, I brewed a porter, and it came out more of a brown ale. Not not an uncommon thing to happen. Um, under I undershot gravity. You know, it wasn't as roasty, or it wasn't as, you know, kind of rich as I wanted it. Um, so just that's one thing to consider. I've had some wonderful beers, like technically proficient, mm-hmm. really well-balanced, very tasty, and even have asked the steward to go back and double-check, like, is this enter, is this the correct entry number? Because this is not, you know, an IPA or mm-hmm. a porter or whatever it is. And it's, it's a shame because... You know, you have to give it a very low score, but yeah, I use the overall as a great way to say this is an excellent beer. Just make sure you put it in the right category next time. Yeah, and sometimes it's difficult to pick those categories. Like if you make a fruit ale that's sour, or 
you know, a Belgian beer that has fruit in it, you really have to read through the guidelines to make sure that you're entering in the right category. So Chris is going to doctor one more, but we only have a couple minutes left. We're talking about some some of the, the, the more common off flavors today, and we'll get to more next week. Mm-hmm. As well as, um, anyway, when I was at the New York Cake and Supply today, I, I bought some other flavorings, some licorice and some clove and banana, so we can kind of see not just off flavors, but also just flavors. I think really training your palate, there's a lot of ways you can train your palate. I know one time Chris and I had a, drove down to D.C., and we stopped and got some jelly bellies along the way. And we had, so we're driving, we decided to do a blind jelly belly tasting. Because it is, I mean, obviously jelly bellies don't represent necessarily true flavors in nature or flavors that you would get in beers. But it gives you, you a know, blind tasting. Yeah, yeah, if you know the jelly belly flavors and you do a blind tasting, it's a good way to train your palate. That's, uh, your memory is connected. You have memories that are connected with all these, uh, particularly aromas, but also flavors. Um, a smell, a sense of smell is, is an unusual sense in that it's not, it doesn't go to kind of this higher learning areas of your brain first. It goes to the forebrain, I believe. And it really, it's more of a gut sensation. So a lot of times, you know, you'll walk by somewhere or you'll taste something, you'll think, oh man, you know, this is a lot of, this reminds me of my grandma's house or, oh, this is. This, this next taste might remind you of your grandma's house. <laughs> I had oh. one time a, a beer that a friend of mine brewed and, and I was trying to remember, and it was circus peanuts. It smelled and tasted like circus peanuts. And I, you know, came out with that. We were actually, I think this was during a class. And I came out with that and, and you know, definitely was. I think recently I had a beer that was tasted kind of marshmallow. And those aren't necessarily things you think about, but, you know, they're kind of memory. If you bring up, try to bring up memories instead of words. I think that's one thing when you sit down to taste and smell a beer, a lot of times you won't be able to come up with the weird, the word, but you can me- come up with the memory and then the word. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the hardest thing is yeah. it's sort of on the, oh, no pun intended, on the tip of your tongue or just <laughs> like on the outside of your, your, your consciousness and you just can't put your finger on what the heck it is that mm-hmm. you're yeah. so familiar with. Oh, this is a weird one. <laughs> so, this is representing phenolic and what is it what did we do to dr despair this is chloroseptic yes it's well it's sore throat spray sore, sore throat it's a spray. generic sore throat spray from a drugstore this is not perfect but it does give you a medicinal aroma and flavor it also has a slight numbing if you do a little too much you get a slight numbing <laughs> sensation which is not that's kind of that's not what you're what you'd normally get but i think it's a good way to, to teach medicinal aroma and flavor plasticky I usually get a slight numbing Band-Aid. feeling after tasting beer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if done correctly, it should always be that way. And again, the phenols can contribute uh, desirable traits to beer. That's true. In certain styles, others, again, you know, it's, it's it really depends on the style and that you have to to pay attention to. Um, but in in many beers, it's considered an off flavor and one that you want to work very hard to avoid. Yeah, particularly if it's too much. Like if you get like smoke flavor can be is considered phenolic or clove, and those can be desirable flavors. But if it goes too far, it can be banded or medicinal. Um, yeah, you're going for medicinal with this. You're going yeah, for definitely. Right, we were talking about this actually before we we, we started the um, conversation, which is an off flavor is not necessarily always a flaw. It's mm-hmm. anything you don't want in your beer. Right. So. Um, you know, phenolics can be just about anything, and in some cases, you point out they're part of um, 
you know, what makes a beer style. For example, German wheat beers, you want that clove, but mm-hmm. you certainly don't want it in your APA, your, right. your American pale ale. <laughs> and medicinal is probably, that is a type of phenolic you don't want at all. Right. Any style. Right. Oh, yes. So how do you get something medicinal? Well, I think, I mean, I th- a couple different ways. I think it can be a yeast malfunction, again. Um, also, I believe, like, chlor- if you use chlorinated water, you can get that phenolic flavor. What else? If you don't, oh. uh, if you don't use your sanitization or your, your uh, sanitizing methods to, as they just, as they describe, like, if you over, if your concentration of, of uh, whatever you're using, bleach, star sand, anything, is too much in there, uh, it's going to, you can get that really plastic. And also, it can mm-hmm. come bacteria. It can produce phenol-like. Uh, flavors and aromas as well so it could be start of an infection yeah. and wild yeast and wild, and wild yeast, yeast yeah. of course great well that is what we have time to today so we're going to put a we'll put our link on fermentaboutit.com um, to my to my blog that has all the recipes and the the um, amounts that you need to to make your own flavor kit i would urge you to do this absolutely it's a great 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 way to to train your palate on what to do and what not to do mm-hmm. so we'll return next monday at 7 8, 7 p.m. on heritage radio network for part two of our off-flavor flavor. Thanks to Joe Galarraga and to Jack Inslee, our producer, and to Roberta's in Bushwick. And Vlad and BR. To BR and Vladimir Kowalik. Foment about it over here. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 